developing your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Hello, humans. I'm God. With me today is the Archangel Gabriel. Say hello, Gabriel. Hey, God. How you doing? Doing well. And yourself? I'm fine. Thank you. My guest today is Charlotte Clymer, a writer, an army veteran, a Texan. Charlotte works for the Human Rights Campaign and is an advocate for transgender rights. God loves all his LGBT people. We are honored and proud to have Charlotte Clymer here in honor of Pride Month. Hello, Charlotte. Welcome to The God Show. Hello, God. I, I got to say, I'm a, a big fan of your early work before you sold out and went mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. <laughs> what, what, what early work was that again? <laughs> uh, the whole creation thing was pretty decent. You know, I mean, uh, good and retro. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to be judgmental here, of course, but um, it started out well. So Right. I had so much promise. Yes. <laughs> Things went sideways so fast. So fucking fast. It was uh, it was pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I've pretty much spent the all of eternity dealing with it. Yeah, I've been in therapy for a few thousand years now. <laughs> Luckily, I have uh, every psychologist and psychiatrist throughout history to study me. They're still pretty confused. Well, we all have mommy issues, so you being the original one, you know. I have I have a lot of issues. Yeah. Um, I'm working on it, but uh, this podcast is part of that. Uh, this is actually one of their assignments. Uh, I'm supposed to speak more. I, I, I struggle with shyness and uh, social anxiety. You seem like you had your head in the clouds quite a bit. I have. I, I spend a lot of time daydreaming, <laughs> um, thousands of years sometimes. Anyway, I'm, I'm just... So happy to have you here, Charlotte. Uh, I followed you very closely on Twitter. You're you're one of the best follows on Twitter. You're so passionate and eloquent with uh, all the things that you talk about. And uh, I, I saw your CBS. Uh, you had an appearance on uh, where you talked about serving in the military, and uh, it's it's very inspiring. Thank you. That means a lot coming from you. Yes, God loves you and is is very proud. <laughs> So let's uh, let's get into a discussion. Uh, I, you grew up in Texas. What was that like? You know, it, it's complicated, uh, as all things are when it comes to upbringings. I, I have this weird thing where I love Texas, um, and I think that's that's pretty common for folks across the political spectrum. Because even though Texas is a rather conservative state, there's so much about the culture that's separate from politics uh, that's really fun to just you know remember and uh, take some pride in. I grew up with a very strong sense of patriotism, but my, you know, I guess patriotism varies very quite, well, it, it's quite different from the Republican Party's current version of patriotism, let's just say that. And uh, so, yeah, growing up in Texas, it was a weird intersection of, you know, we have this, we have this strange diversity in the state where, you know, we have a ton of folks of color, a ton of uh, different religions, especially in Central Texas, but it intersects so deeply with more conservative politics. And so what you get is a lot of nuance. 
And I, I don't think that if I had been raised anywhere else, I would have, you know, the respect for nuance that I do today. Right. It, it's a huge state. It's uh, it's almost a country in itself. Yes, it absolutely is. In fact, it used to be a country. Right. We're the only state that, you know, has a constitution where we can split ourselves up into five other states if we wanted to. So. Right. Do you think there's hope that Texas might flip blue in the future? I absolutely do. And I think the reason that it hasn't flipped blue is because we haven't had folks to vote for, really. Um, and I, I, I don't say that with any degree of malice toward, you know, some of our more popular Democratic candidates over the past decade. But there's not been someone who is both exciting and a really good organizer. Uh, you know, Beto War came along. Um, he was extremely eloquent, but he was also really good at driving organizing in the state. It's such an enormous fucking state that you have to tie together all these dis- uh, disparate parts across the uh, across the spectrum from, you know, North Texas to South Texas near the uh, the border to El Paso, which I mean, is literally like, you know, the the normal equivalent of two or three states away. So it's a lot of ground to cover. Right. Well, he came close. Maybe one of these decades, uh, Texas will flip. Blue. One of these decades. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, w- w- we'll see. I'll, I'll keep watching. I'm around for the long haul. We could use your help. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Uh, what do you like to do for fun, Charlotte? I like to drink. You like to drink? I do. I'm a big fan of, you know, just drinking with friends uh, because it is a clusterfuck over the past couple of years, especially here in D.C. And, you know, sometimes the best thing you can do is separate yourself from the political world and then go to the bar with your friends and just relax a little bit. Right. And and what is your favorite drink? Oh, God. Uh, I'd say vodka soda, hands down. Vodka soda with some. Uh, it's very healthy. Oh, yeah. It's it's super healthy, I think. It cleans you out and, you know, gets you uh, uh, ready to go for the uh, later parts of the evening when you start getting into the whiskeys. So, yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> what is your favorite drink, God? I'm curious. What is your favorite drink? The, the creator of all. I like pina coladas. <laughs> and uh, it's true. It's it's a very tasty drink. I also I like the Moscow Mule. It comes in the uh, in the nice copper tumbler. That's right. And uh, tastes so good. I'm not much of a drinker. I, uh, I have about uh, one or two drinks and I'm sloshed. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm much more of a weed smoker myself. Oh, I, there uh, we go. Now you're talking. Yeah, I, I, I enjoy my own creation. <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, I heard, I heard Gabriel's really into Smirnoff. Is that true? Or uh, Yeah, I, I like all the different flavors of Smirnoff, particularly lemon. <laughs> I'm also been getting into gin recently gin and soda so equally healthy to vodka soda but uh gin say what you will about those russians they uh they know they're hard alcohol they sure do oh yeah and they're rigging of elections and and Um, their nuclear power plants oh yeah speaking of which uh any favorite tv shows oh you know lately um but yeah no the the chernobyl show was i I mean i knew it was going to be good i didn't know it was going to be that good though right right i just finished it the other day and uh Wow, I was, it blew me away. Quite literally. Uh, it really exploded all my expectations <laughs> of what it was going to be. <laughs> uh, you know, it asked the question, what, what is the cost of lies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's what, what a, sadly, such, it's always a uh, relevant question to ask. We, we can be asking the same question today in the United States of America. And what is the cost of hate? Mm-hmm. Because that's uh, a lot of what's going on today. 
And uh, we're going to get into that. And the disrespect for science, I think, in general. You know, I'm I'm a liberal right. I'm a liberal arts right. person. I, I don't I'm not very good at science, but for exactly that reason, I leave science to scientists. And so, if they say that something is fucked up, I usually take their word on it and just you know do what they need to do. Exactly. Like I'm I'm not much of a scientist either, but I really respect what they do. <laughs> and you know, like like they've solved a lot of problems that, quite frankly, I've struggled with. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Sorry, I just in the context of what you are, it's so funny. So, oh, okay. Well, that's okay. I I deserve to be laughed at. Charlotte, uh, you were in the military. What did you do there? What was that like? So, I, I served for six years. Uh, three and a half of those were in the infantry. You know, they did the MOS for that is Eleven Bravo. I did my training at Fort Benning. You know, in the awards Betty Izzard, it's a lot of you know running, jumping, climbing up trees. You know, and in my case, putting on makeup while you're up there. It was it was a good time uh, in in the sense that uh, it sucked. Uh, but it was a very formative experience. It really showed me what was important in my worldview and kind of helped me narrow down my value system uh, quite a bit. Right. The training forges you by fire. That's right. And uh, gives people discipline. Uh, specifically, there's the, the gas uh, gas training. I, I've talked to a few humans who've done that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Uh, you, you go into this little chamber with your gas mask and they show you how to, you know, go through the drill and take it off. And I mean, it's basically tear gas. And what a lot of people don't know is that it, I mean, it quite literally cleans out your sinuses completely. And so you come out of the chamber and you're just dripping snot everywhere. I mean, it's just coming from every, it seems like there's snot coming out of your ears, honestly. Right. Right. That's, that's, that's quite a bonding experience. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. So that was training. And then in the military, what, uh, what was your service like? Well, I went and served in the old guard, uh, which is the third U S infantry regiment in Washington, DC. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of our mission is to do the funerals in Arlington national cemetery and also receive the transfer cases of the remains of fallen uh, service members in Dover, Delaware, the other part of it is to be the tactical force that surrounds D.C. So if D.C. were attacked, we would be the frontline troops against that, oh, wow. which means that you train all the fucking time. You know, you're, you're always going to this uh, military base called AP Hill, which is nearby. And, you know, I we spent a lot of time, you know, just doing tactical training, raiding houses, uh, doing the, the basics of how to kill people, essentially. Wow. So... If the zombie apocalypse hits DC, you'd be a great friend to have. Yes, yes, I would. I would, I would totally watch that uh, version of The Walking Dead. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 interesting because I, you know, I I would say that I am mostly pacifist. I do think that deadly force is sometimes needed. I think that the United States has a really fucking awful history of engaging in combat operations we have no business being in. But, you know, uh, having those skills are invaluable. Um, And it's something that you never forget. It's just kind of hardwired into your brain. Yeah, I I really wish the United States would uh, cut it out with all the wars. Been a long time since we had a justifiable one. Uh, Like, can the U.S. just go like five years without starting a new war? That'd be great. I I would love that. It seems like that's a lot to ask for at this point. It seems like it. And, you know, uh, I mean, we can, you know, I'm sure there's some good debate over whether the first Gulf War was uh, necessary. But I mean, we really haven't had 
a justified military operation since World War II. I think that uh, the U.S. money is connected to how much war they do because there's no gold in Fort Knox, right? No. The gold, your gold is uh, tanks and planes that no one needs. That's right. No one needs them. And we we build these, we, we pay corporations to build these massive weapons of war that we then sell uh, to countries that regularly violate human rights. It's just unbelievable. It's, it's completely unbelievable. And what's, what's sad is that most of the people in those countries are good people also just trying to get by. It's the politicians in their countries and in our country that continually fuck everything up in order to stay in power. Exactly. And, and you know, he said it, most, most people are good. It's just the uh, politicians. It's always been this way throughout history. And uh, that's why we're going to do something about it. Uh, this generation's going to stop it. That's right. You've, you've done pretty good on this, uh, this new model. They're, they're, uh, they're quite the whippersnappers. Yeah. So, Charlotte, what would you say is your purpose in life? Oh, that's big. Um, yeah, I, I have, I'm starting to ask all my guests this. It seems like a good godly question to ask a human being. <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? Well, I, I ask myself this quite often and I feel like, you know, honestly, I feel like I think about this question all the time because when I was younger, the purpose was to be of service. And then over time, that question of how I can be of service to others has been complicated by a lot of things, uh, notably you know, my own uh, system of faith, uh, my gender identity, uh, my personal politics, things like that. I think right now, my job in life, my purpose is to ensure that marginalized people are not taken advantage of and attacked by those in power. That's excellent. I'm proud of you, Charlie. Keep doing it. Thanks, God. You know, you work for the Human Rights Campaign in D.C. What do they do? Well, the Human Rights Campaign is the nation's largest LGBTQ organization uh, that works directly on civil rights. Uh, we have a lot of partner groups as well. So, you know, there are really great coalition partners like Lambda Legal, um, the National Center for Transgender Equality, the Transgender Law Center. And I can name, you know, about a dozen other LGBTQ orgs that are on the national level. But there are so many orgs who are doing really great work in fighting against anti-LGBTQ policies. Because did you know right now in 30 states, an LGBTQ person is at risk of being fired solely because of their gender identity or sexual orientation? You can still be fired for being gay in 30 states. Something else. It's and, you know, sickening. what's interesting is that back when same-sex marriage was on the way to being legalized and, you know, we, were, we weren't sure of how the Supreme Court would decide, but we were optimistic and there was this there was this growing concern within the movement that with the legalization of same-sex marriage, that people would get complacent and that we would have this really bad sense that uh, or from mainstream society that we were in a post-homophobic uh, American you know society. And we've seen that come to pass because ever since Obergefell was you know ruled over and uh, same-sex marriage was legalized, we've seen a lot of people, kind of forget that there's all these other pieces of LGBTQ quality that have failed to be implemented. That happened. The gay marriage got passed. And then everybody said, okay, it's all over. Pack it up. That's right. Homophobia doesn't exist anymore. And uh, racism doesn't exist anymore because Obama's president. Yep. And, and of course, that's not the case. Um, what I'm seeing as I watch things play out in the USA is that it seems to be on the rise, uh, making a big comeback 
online and in the world. It's, it's really sickening and tragic. I don't know why this is happening. I wish it would stop. It's the backlash. Yeah, it's a, it's a backlash against, against so much progress that's been made. Um, and what's sad is that, you know, it's distracting. I mean, these are issues that we shouldn't have to worry about. You know, everyone, uh, everyone has issues where they're trying to uh, put a roof over their heads, uh, feed and clothe and educate their children. People don't have time for this bullshit anymore. And they shouldn't have to have time for it. But we're still distracted by these, you know, quite frankly, enormous assholes who keep doing asshole things and distracting from real problems like, you know, climate change, which is which is a real dire problem that's going to kill us all if we don't address it. Right. Or the fact that many Americans struggle to get health care. That's right. The right wing uses these, I guess they're called wedge issues, to try and get people on their side. They get them with these things they're, you know, kind of confused or not sure about. And then next thing you know, they're talking about you know, taxes and uh, so on and so forth. Yeah. And it's, it's such, it's done in such bad faith too. I, I see a lot of folks who, and I, I will be quite frank, a lot of reporters, at the New York times, for example, who aren't from the South, who don't understand these environments. And instead of interrogating them as they should, as they should as journalists, what they do is assume there's good faith present and then try to ask them why they're doing what they're doing. We know why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, you know, the, these folks are extremely racist. They're sexist. They're quite anti-LGBTQ um, and all the rest. And they want to support people who will validate their hatred. That's all this is. It is literally that simple. And, and part of fighting back against that is recognizing that problem instead of ignoring it. I, I think religion plays a big role. I think um, mm-hmm. fear of the unknown. Uh, many of these people have never known anyone you know different than than themselves and uh they're insulated a lot of people are just predisposed to be assholes Mm -hmm. and and people are afraid of the unknown for all those people out there in podcast land that perhaps don't know much about the lgbt movement how can we explain the purpose and the goals of the movement and why it's so important well you know the modern lgbtq rights movement started with the stonewall riots um, in 1969. There were, of course, other advances uh, within the advocacy space before that. But, you know, at the, the Stonewall End in New York City, uh, trans women of color essentially fought back uh, and they were joined by their other LGBTQ siblings. And there were riots for a couple of days. Um, and that really got people, you know, to stand their ground finally and fight back against a deeply homophobic, transphobic police force uh, and against uh, governments uh, that had state-sanctioned uh, anti-LGBTQ policies. And over time, the, the, really the goal has been, uh, first and foremost, to allow people to be who they are in the public square, regardless of gender identity or sexual orientation. And real quick, for those who may not know what those mean, sexual orientation is basically who you're attracted to, you know, uh, either sexually or romantically, Gender, uh, gender identity is about how you express yourself in, in terms of, uh, of, of gender, how you identify. They're two different concepts, and that's important for understanding, you know, why there are so many letters in that acronym, and, and far more than that, actually. I mean, we use LGBTQ, and the Q is supposed to represent everyone else. There are some advocates who use a lot longer of acronyms, and they're, they're, that's completely valid because they want to make sure everyone's fully included. 
But here's the second part, and this is where it gets a little more complicated. There are intersections at play here. So, you know, you have the main LGBTQ movement, which is a, a broad freedoms for everybody. But then you have complicating factors that have to be addressed, like, for example, white supremacy that uh, targets LGBTQ people of color. You have various aspects of misogyny that target, you know, people who need access to abortion care, whether they be cisgender women or trans men or non-binary folks who need access to abortion care. You know, you have um, xenophobia, Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, which target various uh, LGBTQ folks who are religious minorities. You have ableism, uh, which targets persons with disabilities within the queer movement. And so what's essential is making sure that when we're talking about LGBTQ rights, we realize that it's not just about it's not just about white, gay, cisgender men who are part of our movement, but it's much, much, much bigger than that. Well, there's there's a lot of. uh ignorance and fear out there in the world. And um, I think, you know, anything we can do to raise awareness of these issues is good because it's leading to a lot of bad outcomes. Well said, God. Well said. Thank you. Thank you, Charlotte. Can we talk about identity politics real quick? Yeah, please. I would love that. Um, I mean, you, you creator of all, uh, know that you've, you know, created an, an, an infinite amount of identities out there. There's this big societal debate right now over the term identity politics and what it means and, and how much we should address it. And I feel like so often it gets boiled down to essentially race, gender identity, and sexual orientation. And really, identity politics is, is so much bigger than that. It's about who we are and the, the experiences that make up who we are. And I would say to those who oppose identity politics um, and, and considering them in our larger political system, is that we have the biggest proponent of identity politics right now in the Oval Office. Donald Trump is, you know, quite clearly uh, a white supremacist. He believes that white people are superior to people of color. That is an aspect of identity politics. You know, uh, but then you have the more positive aspects uh, that aren't necessarily thought about. For example, military veterans, that's an identity that is intrinsic to uh, our personal experiences and how we navigate the world and the the access we have to certain spaces. I would say that for, you know, things like uh, people who are coal miners, who have a very cultural connection uh, in their families to this this economic system, that's part of identity politics. And so if I'm talking to if I'm talking to an older white man who is uh, blue collar, middle class, or you know, lower middle class, been working his ass off for decades, and he gets really frustrated and says, "Well, you know, I don't understand why I'm left behind." And the thing is, he's not, because you know what intersectionality means is ensuring that his experience as a coal miner, you know, that one of these people whose labor has been exploited to uphold our energy system, that they're not left behind. You know, everybody has an identity. And everybody wants to identify with their leaders. Yeah. That's right. That's an excellent point, Charlotte. I, I in general, I would say that um, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I'm a bit dumb. <laughs> when <laughs> academic terms and, and things that uh, I'm not familiar with are, are said, I kind of glaze over. And uh, I really appreciate it when humans talk uh, like I'm five. Because um, there's just a lot of people out there, I think, like me, who are just kind of dim and uh, can't follow along. But uh, long story short, you're all human beings. You're all equal and worthy of love. You're all going through some hard shit. You know, be good to each other. 
That's right. You should write a book called Explain It to Me Like I'm Five Millennia. Yes. That'd be great. <laughs> I, I have to be careful about writing books. <laughs> <laughs> that was damn good. I like that. So do you believe in me, Charlotte? I do. I do. I, I am a religious person. Um, I, but but I, I, that comes with several caveats. I have identified as a Christian for quite a long time. But, you know, my Christianity is the kind where people don't go to hell for not believing in God. And the way I'm able to justify that is that I, I believe that, you know, there are many pathways to God. And that believing in Christ as an access point to some eternal life is kind of fucking bullshit because the Bible is extremely contradictory on this point and yes. often double, doubles back over itself and is mistranslated. And yes, I've, I've actually never read it. Um, <laughs> yeah, Jesus, Jesus recently got me to start uh, reading it with him um, on the God show. We're studying it. We're reading it one line at a time. We've we've done about three segments. Oh, only two. We haven't gotten off the first page yet. <laughs> I um, I'm spitting up a lot of coffee. It's um, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a lot. It's really contradictory. It's really it's amazing. It's like one word to the next, contradicting itself i mean they had one fucking job they had one job and they just you know they messed it up yeah i know you can't let the humans write anything what what so what do you like about christianity i like the emphasis on putting yourself in other people's shoes um which you don't hear about so often because so many christians don't do that um ensuring charity and compassion that you lead with love instead of judgment that you uh, emphasize that no one gets left behind because in true Christianity, no one gets left behind. Um, no one. And I, I mean that both in the physical sense of the day-to-day struggle of living, but also in the ephemeral sense when, you know, the end of the world comes and no one gets left behind. The rapture? The rapture, right. Do you believe in the rapture, Charlotte? I do not believe in the rapture. I, I think okay. it is a very large, uh, colorful metaphor um, that's, People take extremely literary, li- li- literally to the point of childishness. I agree. And, you know, I canceled the rapture a long time ago. <laughs> it's too much work. Like, humans are going to destroy the planet anyway. So <laughs> That might be the rapture itself. Yeah. I think that's much more fitting a punishment yeah. anyway. So what conflicts do you come up against as a trans Christian? Well, you know, what, what I think is important is to realize that a lot of folks have been burned by Christianity, um, literally in history, right? Burned at the stake. But, you know, in, in the modern sense, so many people have been extremely hurt, uh, needlessly and, and, and cruelly hurt by those who call themselves Christians. So I see my job as a Christian, um, to say nothing of the other aspects of my identity, is to not insert myself into that kind of pain. Because there are people who have very good reasons to hate Christianity, quite frankly, and I need to honor that. And I, I think that's, you know, it's quite sad that all these congregations, whether they be led by Joe Olstein or, you know, any of these other clowns with, you know, $15,000 teeth who uh, like to grift over other people's pain, is that they're leading people into even greater pain um, that, that kind of multiplies itself and then projects onto other people outside of the congregation, right, in terms of 
political advocacy and policy, etc. As a trans Christian, I, I find a lot of healing in my faith, but I also know that, you know, it's not been so healing for others and I need to respect that. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the main reasons I started speaking out is uh, these bigots that are exploiting religion to uh, just basically give themselves private airplanes. And, uh, you know, when I first started, it seemed like, you know, every religious person was a fundamentalist prick. But as I've been online for the last 10 years and talked to a lot of people, it seems actually that most people are pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's just these few assholes that really seem to ruin it for everyone. I think that, yeah, it's it's kind of beautiful, really, that, you know, you see people that don't have any faith. Uh, it has nothing to do with whether or not they're a good person. You know, uh, religious people say you have to be religious mm-hmm. to be good. You don't know what morality is without religion. And, and of course, that's not true. I'm not pandering when I say this, I promise. But I... I without a doubt, am far more impressed consistently by atheists and agnostics than I am by any person who subscribes to a religious faith. And the reason being is that their good works come without any expectation of an eternal reward. You know, they just do good things for the sake of, uh, for the sake of them being good and moral and in helping those around them. Whereas I see a lot of, you know, my fellow Christians or people who supposedly subscribe to Christianity uh, and, and, you know, sometimes, although not to nearly an extent, uh, Jewish folks, Muslim folks, Hindus, etc., who do things because they believe it will lead to a great payoff someday. And that's wrong. Well, there's a lot of good atheists in heaven and uh, a lot of people that didn't believe in me in heaven. And there's a lot of uh, fundamentalist pricks just hanging out in limbo. Couldn't agree more. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of your threads on Twitter detailed your transition journey. It was a fascinating read. Please, if, if, if you can, tell us about your journey. Yeah, well, so I knew from, I don't know, three or four that something was off. I was incongruent with my environment. I didn't know how, though. I, I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't, I didn't even know the word transgender back then. I just knew that as I steadily got older, I definitely wanted to be a girl. Like that was firmly always present in my mind. Um, I would look up to, you know, women. I really wanted to be a woman someday and, you know, wear women's clothing and, and have a woman's body, et cetera. And instead of having someone I could talk to, because I didn't, you know, I didn't have any adults I trusted. It was an abusive environment and it was conservative and all this other nonsense. I tried to essentially beat it out of myself. So you know, I would engage in these really aggressive male rites of passage, you know, things like, you know, playing contact sports a lot, uh, really leaning heavily into traditionally male things, thinking that I would be able to condition myself somehow out of this need to be a girl. Because you didn't, you, you had been told that was wrong. Right, exactly. It was communicated beyond the shadow of a doubt that it was wrong to, for a boy to do girl things, right? Right. Um, now I would slip up every now and then, you know, I, I thought I would be able to do certain things like, um, you know, I, (laughs) I remember in, in, in seventh grade, I wanted to be a cheerleader. Right. And I thought because it was pep squad and not cheerleading that I could get away with it and and no one would care. And I was dead wrong about that. That's crazy because you lived in Texas Mm -hmm. and George Bush was, he, he was a cheerleader. He was a fucking cheerleader at Texas A&M. That's right. 
Oh, oh right, yeah, yeah. He was a he was a cheerleader, and, and Rick Perry was a cheerleader at A uh, and M. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep, yep. He sure. I think he was in ROTC, and he was a cheerleader, and then Bush was a cheerleader at Yale. So that's fun. And and Laura Bush killed a guy. Yes, yes, she did. Yes, she did. Uh, she she <laughs> killed someone. But you know, it's it's this thing where over and over again, I would beat the hell out of myself trying to you know get that sense of maleness or manliness, and it just didn't work. And it wasn't until I was a year into the military when I realized, oh shit, this is not going away. <laughs> right. It's it's here to stay. Like whatever the hell this is, that's in my body and my soul is not going away. And so when I go, when I got out of the military, I spent a, you know several years in therapy trying to figure this out. And there were other there were other things to do in therapy too. Like you know there was a lot of physical and sexual abuse when I was a kid that I had to work through. But eventually we got to the gender identity piece. And it took a good two years of talking with my therapist about this. Uh, then I, I came out as gender nonconforming uh, because I was in a relationship at the time. And I thought that this would be a good way to compromise uh, because my partner at the time was really not comfortable with the you know trans woman uh, thing. And so I stayed in that mode for, I don't know, three years after Trump was elected. I thought I would wait until he got out of office. And at some point, it just occurred to me, like, I can't wait anymore. I'm, I'm going to, I honestly, I'm going to kill myself if I have to wait anymore. Because uh, it's, it's just too, it's too hard to be in the closet. It really is. Well, good for you. Thank you. I understand this, this Trump being elected thing is just like, I mean, you just, it just burns us all up inside, doesn't it? It really does. And it, it, it breaks my heart for all the folks who don't get their stories told. How many people uh, will, will we never know, uh, including, you know, brown children being locked in cages at the U.S.-Mexico border? Uh, you know, they, we're, we're never going to know their stories. So for those of us who are in any sort of position to communicate to a wider audience, it's a it's a it's a great responsibility. It is. It really is. And, and you have the biggest uh, responsibility of all, God. Oh, I've got the whole <laughs> people say that I have the whole world in my hands, but it's really on my shoulders. What a lot of humans don't know is that I didn't come up with, with this concept of gender anyway. That was a human invention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just created a way for humans to reproduce. I never cared what they called themselves. Mm-hmm. Why, why are humans so obsessed with this gender thing anyway? Oh, God, that is such a, a long discussion. But if I could put it in a nutshell, I think that gender creates a hierarchy. You know, gender is born out of our need to not our need, not our need as in the collective, but the, the need of many to have some sense of superiority over other people. Um, and there are other constructs as, constructs as well, uh, whether they be race or the, the constructs we put around more immutable things like sex or disability or uh, things like that. So all of these things are used to uh, exploit fragile people into, into being more bigoted often for purposes of controlling. And their, their, their sense of honesty here is, is really lacking um, because they'll say, well, you know, if we, if, if we didn't live in a world without gender, is that what you want? I'm like, well, no, that's not what I want because I would still want a woman's body. I mean, it's not just about the gender expression piece. It's also about the, the, the physical incongruency with the body you have. For, for many trans people, that's just the reality. They don't operate in good faith. They never do. If you try to show them all of these things and, and, and tell them that you've tried everything, you, you've really tried to 
not be stuck in this mindset, they'll just ignore it completely, put their fingers in their ears and walk away. Right. What are they so afraid of? Why do they hate so much? I don't understand why so many humans lack humanity. Yeah, it's pretty sad. I mean, we're, we're, you know, this is a, I guess you didn't get a system update or a software update here going. I tried it without free will, and that was boring because then <laughs> everyone's a robot. And then you give them free will and, and brains that are capable of just amazing things. And um, so many people, you know, they don't bother to read. They don't bother to uh, really consider complex arguments. You know, a lot of issues are very complex. And people these days just want to make arguments that are so simplistic, it's ridiculous. Well, okay. So God, what, what, you know, I, I need, I, I do seek the daily inspiration from you. I, I pray to you every day. I do read the uh, uh, less venomous pieces of scripture. What would you say to those listening right now to just give them a little inspiration, a little hope for the future? Well, I talked to uh, the friendly atheist, AKA Hemant Mehta recently. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he said something that uh, kind of inspired me. So I'm going to give you something that an atheist said. <laughs> <laughs> And that's, you know, because I was saying, I was saying the same, you know, what hope is there? These people won't seem to change their minds. And uh, he mentioned that every atheist or most of the atheists that he knows were once very religious. Mm. They came a long way to being who they are now. And just by reading and thinking and um, reading the Bible, you know, people can read things and come to different conclusions. But it, it is true that, you know, People can change their minds. I do believe that. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to keep believing in that. I think we all do. Because that's the only hope there is, is that some of these, these people realize they were wrong. I think there's nothing more beautiful than when a human being realizes they were wrong. Yes, uh, when, especially when they were wrong. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't think there's anything that I'm more sensitive to than when someone shows genuine contrition. Right. I, I really, and it doesn't matter what they've done. Uh, if they've done something really bad, uh, there, there's something about genuine contrition that really will just take away my guard and, and make me, you know, want to help them, you know, get, get started on their path to redemption. Right. So, so that's what I can offer you by way of inspiration. It's, Contrition and redemption is, I think, is what's called for uh, in the USA. A lot of those on the right still think that Trump cares about LGBTQ rights. So let's get the facts correct. What exactly has the Trump administration done? Wow. That's that's a two-hour conversation, but I'll try to boil it down into a two-minute answer. Right. Explain it like I'm five. Explain it like you're five millennia. I got you. So... So from the start, their their whole goal, uh, Trump and Pence, is to erase LGBTQ people from the public square. That's essentially what they want to do on the way to doing much more egregious things. So the way they've done that uh, from day one, I mean, within hours of taking office, they erased uh, LGBTQ web pages from government websites. They t- they took down entire you know uh, guidance on uh, how to address things like HIV and AIDS or how to um, deal with certain aspects of healthcare that folks who are queer uh, need access to. They ordered the Centers for Disease Control to stop using the word transgender in reports so that they wouldn't be able to, you know, do studies on transgender people. That was the, the, the purpose of it. 
they've done things like removing questions on sexual orientation and gender identity from uh, government surveys, from the census, from certain studies that cater toward understanding the LGBTQ population in aspects of government, government programs. And so all of this is a way to, number one, remove all government data on LGBTQ people, and number two, take away legal protections for LGBTQ people. Because what that goes beyond to is where they are stripping, or I should say, reframing certain uh, laws that are in place to exclude LGBTQ people from legal protections. So you have the Civil Rights Act, right? And all the titles, Title VII, Title IX, things like that. They're trying to reframe these in a way that says LGBTQ people are not protected from discrimination. And literally, uh, before the Supreme Court, the Solicitor General for Trump said that the Civil Rights Act does not protect people on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. Now, if that alone, I mean, that alone is, is pretty awful. Like, that's pretty bad. It goes beyond this, too, because they're now actively taking measures against LGBTQ people. So they've tried to introduce uh, uh, certain regulations through the Department of Health and Human Services that would, and I'm not making this up, uh, it, and every time I tell people this, they, they, they don't believe it at first, but they literally want to make it so that medical providers can deny all forms of health care to LGBTQ people based on the provider's personal beliefs. So I want to be clear about this. That doesn't mean, that doesn't just mean like trans-related healthcare or, you know, handing out condoms uh, for, uh, you know, like gay sex or whatever the hell. It means an appendix. It means an appendix. It means a broken arm. It means a, it means a gay child going into a hospital with a broken arm. It, it means theocracy. That's right. Theocracy, indeed. Uh, well, what, what they're doing is horrifying beyond all belief. And the way that they're doing it is truly dystopian. Yes. Uh, yes, it is. Erasing from existence. They can try to erase the truth, but it's, it's still there. <laughs> It's, it's, they've pushed through, Trump pushed through a ban on transgender people from serving in the military. A recent poll said 47% of Republicans now support transgender military service. So why did he put through this ban? What does it matter what someone's gender is when they are giving their lives for their country? It doesn't. Uh, and, and, and what's tragic is that there's, there's no merit to this ban. There's absolutely no merit whatsoever. And this, this is on all counts. So at first, you know, the original tweet that Trump put out was uh, he said that it was too costly for the military to cover trans people under these things. Uh, and essentially what happened was that the, the RAND Institute was commissioned by the Department of Defense to do a study on the cost effectiveness of including trans people in the military. And they came out and they said, look, we've run the, we've run the numbers, we've crunched them, and trans people have little to no effect on the overall military budget. Um, in fact, trans-related health care would cost a fraction of a fraction of a percent of the health care budget for the military. Not the military budget in general, but just the health care budget for the military. Trump's military parade that, you know, was going to cost $92 million, that would have funded trans-related health care for the next something like 42, 43 years. <laughs> yeah. and, and the fact that, that he who never served in the military, who avoided it by dodging the draft, is, is acting. Uh, it just makes my head want to explode. 
Yeah, he, he avoided military service. Uh, he, he received five draft deferments during Vietnam, the last one for so-called bone spurs, which miraculously were healed after uh, he got out of the uh, Vietnam War. He's repeatedly compared his uh, battle with STDs uh, during the 70s to right. his personal <laughs> Vietnam. <laughs> oh, dear God. You just have to laugh. I, I, he's terrified of John McCain. Mm-hmm. That's his kryptonite, seeing the word McCain. <laughs> Yeah, and I, you know, I gotta say, I I disagreed with John McCain a lot. I th- I felt right. like he was. I felt like you know John McCain definitely displayed bigotry at times during his career, and he had a very slow evolution, and he came around on a lot of these things. But regardless of that, the man still was a prisoner of war for five years in a Vietnamese prisoner of war camp. He refused to give up, you know, the folks around him, uh, and he stuck it out, even though he was offered uh, conditional release because he was the son of an admiral. Right. While 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 John McCain was was dodging bombs, Trump was dodging STDs. That's right. That's that's exactly right. <laughs> oh, uh, well, I, I recently have been learning more about this big world of podcasts, and I'm I, I found out that actually some of the biggest podcasts out there are broadcasting transphobic views. And using the issue as a wedge to go after uh, lots of confused people. So as a loving God, I want to deprogram these brainwashed dudes who have been turned into transphobes by the likes of Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson. Oh, God. Yeah, that clown. So so what's the best way to do that? Well, you know... what you're doing right now and just talking about this issue and being upfront about it is, is key uh, because I feel like so many folks in media, and I would include you in that because you have a very big platform, and I, I do too, by the way, is that you know people avoid issues of transgender rights because they don't understand them. And you've clearly done your research, which I appreciate. I would say to other people who want to support trans folks and who don't know enough, I, and I, I say this with love that Google is a subscription-free service. It's something where you can look up all of these questions. Uh, you can realize the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, the American Psychiatric Association, the American College of Pediatrics, the World Health Organization, you know, this broad, I mean, near universal consensus of scientists and medical experts have all come out and affirmed transgender identities um, and said that trans people should, you know, be validated in who they are and, and be allowed in the public square fully and without uh, restriction. And there's a reason for that, because they've done the science. Uh, they've, they've, they've studied this issue again and again. And it, it's just not worth the distraction. I mean, my God, I, I, I got really pissed off when we were trying to pass the Equality Act with the U.S. House. And we did. The U.S. House passed the Equality Act, which would make federal non-discrimination protections uh, legal across the board for everyone in the United States. The Senate has not taken it up because Mitch McConnell's an asshole. That's another conversation to have. But the, the main argument over and over again that the GOP tried to put forward is that this would affect women's sports. You know, putting aside the fact that this is the first time in recorded history that the Republican Party has cared about women's sports, the, the, the thing is, is that all these women's, all, all these women's groups came out um, all of these women athletes who are who, you know, professional women's athletes came out and said, look, trans women are women. We want them in our spaces. <laughs> Y'all need to stay in your own lane and let us deal with our own sports. And, you know, uh, the, the biology of trans people is so misunderstood. Uh, taking hormones significantly weakens your body. 
not only your muscle mass, but your bone density. You know, you, you lose a ton of strength after you, t- after you start taking hormones. Your, your body goes this very weakening transition and you have to get used to it. And I would encourage those who are transphobic to understand or, or at least are skeptical the trans people, we bend over backwards constantly to accommodate cisgender people. Like, listen, God, I, I love recreational sports. Uh, before I came out of the closet, I played softball for years. I have not played any, any, any recreational sports since I came out. And it's not because I wouldn't necessarily be welcome in those leagues by a team or by teammates. It's because there's that one person, I'm sure, who would see me on the field and who would get really pissed that I meet the quota for the number of women on the field. That, that makes me sad. Right? I mean, I haven't been to a gym in two years. I haven't been to a swimming pool in two years. There are so many things we don't do because we know it will cause uncertainty and, 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 and derision, and we just don't want to put people in that position. That's why I think it's so wonderful that you speak out. That's why I'm so happy that you're here because, you know, a lot of people, they don't read anything. All they do is listen to podcasts or listen to videos on YouTube. And there just aren't enough voices like yours out there that they're listening to. So I only hope that people can change their minds, but uh, I know it's a lot to hope for. I mean, these same podcasts are always clamoring for debates and, and they're, they act like they're 100% confident they will win every single debate. Like you said, they're not operating in good faith. They have no uh, intention of ever doing so. What, if anything, would you like to say in response to people like Ben Shapiro or Jordan Peterson, who have built their entire careers around transphobia, because I would like to say to them right now, fuck you. (laughs) And I I will, I will validate that. Fuck you, by the way. Um, But I, you know, when it comes to Jordan Peterson and uh, Ben Shapiro and these folks, I feel really bad for them. And I, I feel bad for them because they have built their entire careers around this grift operation and it's made them a lot of money, I'm sure, but they're going to look back on this someday and just kind of be horrified at what they've done. They are really kind of sealing themselves into this legacy of unnecessary, petty viciousness toward human beings who don't deserve it. Once you go down the dark path, forever shall it rule your destiny. That's right. That was Yoda. <laughs> Yoda's wise. I God looks to Yoda for advice. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, I all I need to know about Ben Shapiro is that he sells diet pills. Mm. Yeah. Case closed, period, end of story. This, you know. And Jordan Peterson is a is a weak ass motherfucker. I mean, he is. I, I could beat the shit out of uh, Jordan Peterson. Not that I would. <laughs> that is certainly not a threat. In the octagon. Yes, in the octagon. I would love to see that. You know, they, these same fans, they love UFC so much. Yeah. Yeah, they do. It's, it's this, it's this preoccupation with domination and masculinity. And ironically, Jordan Peterson is not that. You heard it here, Ben Shapiro (laughs) and Jordan Peterson. If you wish to face off against Charlotte Clymer in the octagon. (laughs) Hands down. I'll do it. You ready? I'll absolutely do it. (laughs) So um, why are conservatives so worried about who gets to use bathrooms, but not worried at all about priests being around their kids? Or, or for that matter, and that's that's a pretty damn big point, the child sexual abuse that's in the Catholic Church and in other churches for that matter. But 
but, but also, you know, let's look at the number of Republican men who have been caught in sexual indecency in restrooms as well. Right. Larry Craig. Larry Craig. Uh, there have been three or four other examples of Republican elected officials who either, uh, you know, did something indecent in a restroom or solicited, you know, a sex worker in a restroom. And I'm, I'm totally down with sex work. I support sex workers. But, you know, for them to uh, constantly judge others. And then right, engage the and right the, the sheer hypocrisy of, of, of doing that in a restroom and then saying that trans women present a threat. And by the way, the people who have an issue with this are not women. The people who have an issue with this are conservative men. When you, you know, the, the vast majority of women uh, support trans women having access to women's facilities because they're women, you know, and studies have been done on this. Surveys have been done on this. Uh, there was this survey done, I think, five or six months ago. They interviewed something like. 10,000 women on five different continents in five major cities. And the overwhelming majority in each city said, yeah, of course, trans women are welcome in our restrooms. Why, why wouldn't they be? It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty sad. I think that if conservative men are so worried about the safety of women, they should ho- hold each other accountable instead of letting rapists go free who, you know, attack women behind dumpsters on Stanford campus or, you know, these other awful uh, instances. Right. It's just there. It's just another bullshit thing that they made up to try and divide people and distract them from from what's really going on. That's right. Another uh, bullshit talking point they they've tried to use is uh, that they say gender identity disorder. They try to say, oh, it's a disorder to be transgender, but the World Health Organization removed that from its list of mental illnesses recently. That's right. It's similar to how homosexuality is is treated treated, I should say, in quotation marks. Um, It's identified as uh, a condition that is certainly variant from, you know, what is typical for human beings uh, in the sense that most people are heterosexual, most people are cisgender, but it's not, uh, it's certainly not um, a disorder. Uh, It's something that, you know, with with proper accommodation, uh, trans people are fully functional in any environment, just as, you know, uh, homosexual people, bisexual uh, pansexual people are completely functional in whatever environment they happen to be in. Exactly. Well, I'm glad that the World Health Organization did that so that these um, dipshit assholes can stop using that as one of their bullshit talking points. Amen to that, God. Amen. <laughs> Transgender people face such high levels of violence. Can you tell us what the statistics look like? I'm glad you brought that up. At least 10 trans people have been killed so far this year. At least nine of them were black trans women. Uh, All of them were trans women of color. Um, Last year, 26 trans people were killed. The year before that, it was 29 trans people. There is this epidemic of anti-transgender violence that's really flying under the radar for the vast majority of Americans. People who are being killed because they're transgender. Trans people and non-binary folks face overwhelming uh, rates of violence compared to their cisgender counterparts. They face overwhelming violence compared to their, you know, uh, homosexual, bisexual, pansexual counterparts. So there is this terrible epidemic, and what we need are uh, is a greater understanding of trans issues by police departments, by you know, especially by the media. Um, and what I find is so important to communicate to people is that you know the way we address this in the long term is removing the stigma of being transgender, which means having equal rights in the public square, which means having 
you know, legislation that supports people against discrimination and no longer stigmatizes because the trans people are targeted so viciously and so commonly because the folks who attack them feel they can get away with it because trans people are viewed as less than human. Oh, and that's how it's always been, hasn't it? With civil rights, the battle for civil rights is they think they can get away with it. Me, damn it. They should not be getting away with it. <laughs> that was good. Um, but, but you know, this is also why we in the trans community, and I, I, I'm, I, I rarely talk for other trans people like that, but I, I do think that the vast majority of us feel this way. Trump and Pence really do want to see us die. They do. They, they have this very strange um, hatred toward us that, that would gladly see us be wiped from the face of the earth. And the way they do this is by removing protections from us uh, over time. The transmilitary ban, I am convinced, and I, I will never be convinced otherwise, is a way to legitimize other forms of discrimination being put in place. Because you can't be like, you know, you can't ban trans people from uh, certain areas because then people would be like, well, trans people are serving in the military. They're, they're dying for our freedoms. So as soon as you remove that, everything else just, uh, you know, falls along in the uh, list of dominoes. Yeah, that, it's that Mike Pence, especially, he really seems to have issues. He's terrible. Yeah, that Mike Pence has spent his entire career constantly attacking LGBTQ people. Um, you remember in Indiana, he passed a bill and signed a bill that allowed businesses to res- refuse to provide services for LGBTQ customers. There was this big boycott, you know, a ton of corporations started to pull out. Uh, NCAA said, we're not going to hold any events there for the time being. The state lost something like $60 million because of this. His approval rating tanked, and he was in great danger of losing re-election to a Democrat in Indiana, which which does not happen uh, for Republicans. And the only thing that saved him, of course, was was you know getting tapped as uh, Trump's VP. So, hey, hey, Mike Pence, if you're listening, God says, fuck you. <laughs> so does Charlotte Clymer, for that matter. Fuck you, Mike Pence. Yeah, stop praying. I'm not listening. Charlotte, are you surprised that Caitlyn Jenner, who is a staunch Republican, was so supportive of Trump? Shouldn't she have seen this coming? Because now she acts all surprised that he's doing all these things. No, no, I'm not. And, I, you know, I try not to talk. I, I, I'll do it this time, of course, because you asked a great question. But I, I try not to mention Caitlyn Jenner. Mm-hmm. I, I, and the only reason being is because I know she's gone through her own set of struggles. At the same time, like me, she is a white trans woman. Uh, which means that even though we are oppressed in certain ways, we have an enormous amount of privilege. Caitlyn Jenner, when it comes, when, when push comes to shove, honestly believed that being white would protect her from being discriminated against. Mm. That's why she did what she did. She honestly thought that Trump would see a white woman and think, oh, well, my friend Caitlyn is transgender. I, I'm certainly not going to put any, you know, things in place that would uh, would attack her. Meanwhile, all of us were trying to tell Caitlyn Jenner, you know, please don't do this. This is going to backfire horribly. You need to be speaking out against him. And she refused to do so. Now, I do feel bad for her because she does still face, you know, aspects of discrimination for being transgender. At the same time, she was told by everyone under the sun that this would not end well. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet she helped Trump get elected. Kind of like everyone telling Kanye not to support Trump. (laughs) Right. Oh, yes. Yeah. I don't have any love for Kanye West. I, I don't. So that, that <laughs> Kardashian family, you know, and they just have wacky political views. Who knows? They sure do. According to the Trevor Project, suicide is the second leading cause of death among 
young people ages 10 to 24, and LGBTQ youth are almost five times as likely to have attempted suicide compared to heterosexual youth. Mm -hmm. What is your advice for those teens that are going through depression and having a hard time at school and in society? I'm not going to condescend to them and say that it gets better. You know, I think that uh, the reality is that for so many uh, children in the United States who are LGBTQ people, it doesn't get better for years. Simply being out and proud is courageous, but it doesn't necessarily make certain aspects of your life easier. Instead, I would tell the adults in those areas that support LGBTQ rights that you have a responsibility to those children. It, it shouldn't be on children to navigate a system of oppression. They're, they're trying to be a kid. <laughs> I would save my advice for adults and say, get your shit together. Uh, if you're an ally, fucking act like it. Show up to your school board meeting. Show up to your schools uh, and make sure that LGBTQ children are protected from discrimination and certainly violence. This, this should not be uh, a broad discussion. Uh, it's, it's a matter of adults waking the fuck up and making sure that kids are not harmed, regardless of their gender identity or sexual orientation. As God, I, I often get messages from gay teens uh, asking if they're going to hell because that is what their church believes. They're often from the South for the Bible Belt. Mm. What, uh, what should I tell them other than no? Well, the no is absolutely true, but I would also say that God loves you and made you just the way you are. Right. Yeah, I say those things too. I, I often like provide a, a hotline with resources. You know, providing the hotlines are great. But also insisting that, you know, a lot of a lot of scared adults are going to tell these kids that they don't belong or that they're not going about, you know, life in the right way. Um, it's important that they have people like you insisting to them that they are exactly how they were made uh, and they should take pride in that. And certainly not self, you know, not doubt this natural feeling uh, that they have, whether it be in their gender identity or sexual orientation. Great. So. How can we best help in the fight for trans rights and safety? Well, there's a lot of things you can do. Um, I, I think there's a spectrum. So there are smaller things like, uh, you know, a little thing that a lot of people avoid doing for various reasons. And I would encourage them to do is just, you know, using your pronouns, like put your pronouns in your Twitter bios or Instagram bios or your email signature at work. It's, the, it's, a, it's a flag to trans people that you support us. Hmm. It means, oh, I have an ally in that person with it that, because they listed their pronouns. Bigger things you can do, uh, which are very important, you know, call your members of Congress to insist on legislation that supports uh, LGBTQ people, you know, regardless of, of, of what the area is. And also go to your local and state governments. You know, your local uh, city council or county board or whatever the hell it's so easy to go to those offices and talk one-on-one -on -one with the elected official because it's local government, anyone get access to them and let them know, uh, you know, that LGBTQ people do not have protection from discrimination in your town or city and ask them, you know, could you make sure that people who are, you know, gay or lesbian or bisexual or queer or transgender no longer face discrimination within city limits uh, by passing an ordinance? And, you know, I, I guarantee you, most of the time, these city council uh, officials have no idea that, uh, that a uh, protection against discrimination didn't even exist, and they'll work toward getting that done. So much government is local. Uh, it's about uh, engaging with your local elected officials and kind of leveraging that community aspect to get things done. Yeah, and, and taking that first step. You know, people are afraid of doing the unknown and things that they're not used to, but 
That's a good point. For example, I, can I can I just say real quick? That's a really good point. I, oh, it's so scary to do that. It's, <laughs> but it is. It's it's so scary to put your voice out there for the first few times. I promise it gets easier over time. Right. The more you speak out, it's like working a muscle. Uh, you kind of build it up over time, and and it, it gets to be you know a a, a very easy thing to do uh, when these issues pop up, but you got to at least break the seal at some point. You got to walk into your elected official's office and be like, look, here's why I'm here. I need you to do this. Just keep pushing. People will do things when they're pushed. Five seconds of courage. Take a leap of faith. That's right. So Charlotte, what plans do you have for the future? Will you run for office at some point? Uh, I think I'm going to keep running from office for now. And the reason being is that I could easily see myself in a town hall and telling someone to go fuck themselves. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, and I do think that elected officials need to really be dedicated to their constituents. Um, my attention is so often distracted from various things that I don't think I'd be good in elected office. Here's what I want to do, though. I want to ensure that elected officials and, and, and state legislatures and Congress represent the America they serve. You know, right now, uh, and there are so many great, wonderful, you know, white, straight, cisgender men who I count as friends, who I count as family, who are in my life. But white, straight, cisgender men make up about a third of the U.S. population, but two-thirds of Congress. Two-thirds of Congress. Wow. Two-thirds of Congress and a third of the U.S. population. Mm. So, you know, they are far and beyond overrepresented um, in state legislatures and in Congress. And I think in a democracy, you know, our elected officials should look like us and represent our experiences. I don't think that's a controversial view. I don't think it is either. And um, I hope that uh, Americans can fix uh, some of these problems soon. That would be nice. It, it would be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep holding on to hope. When are you going to run for office? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, I was going to say, Charlotte, I, I a lot of people want me to run for president, but um, I'm not going to because... Like you, I also speak from the heart, and that uh, involves telling a lot of people to fuck off. That's right. <laughs> but you know, we can support. You know, we can support candidates who are doing that. I, I, this whole Hillary Bernie divide. I think it's fucking stupid. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah. I support folks who are, you know, um, who identify as leftists, like you know AOC or um, Congresswoman Rashad Tlaib. I support, you know, more folks who are closer to the center who may not come out for progressive policies as I, as I like, but they're still getting elected and doing good things. I think we need to put this petty division aside and work together. I could not agree more. Donate to Justice Dems, donate to Emily's List, donate to all of these PACs who are working so hard uh, to get people elected who are going to put in place policies that help everybody. That's right. I mean, you can't win a war if your your forces are divided. Right. And um, damn it, Democrats, stop being so divided. Work together. It's not that hard. Stop pandering if, if you're the Democratic Party. You know, I, people don't need you oh, yeah. to. It, these, let me tell you, I, I am from the heartland. I am from white conservative heartland. These people do not give a single goddamn what you need to do is stick to your base, rally those folks, because then moderates will see that you're not a pushover and that you stand for something. Yeah. People people appreciate courage. They do. And uh, boy, I would sure like to see some more of that. Ugh. Amen. So, Charlotte, what do you pray for? Do you, do you care to lead us in a prayer? Yeah, I would love that. 
I'm going to do it genuinely, though. I'm not going to do it in a funny way, uh, although I, I love this podcast. That's fine. So um, we can bow our heads and we'll just pray over the line. Um, Lord Jesus, we come to you with, with great humility and love for what you've done for us. Uh, we ask that you protect those around us, protect us, make us humble, uh, ensure that we are looking out for all of those around us, regardless of their background. We ask to ensure that we know our shortcomings, we know our failures, uh, that we are not so steadfast in our uh, errors that we keep from improving as human beings under your tutelage. Uh, we love you. We are, are so grateful for what you've given us. And we aim to please you in all ways by being loving to others and expressing your love in ways that are helpful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Make sure Jesus hears that, God. <laughs> I, he better be listening. God damn, Jesus, um, wake up. <laughs> that was beautiful. Do you have anything you'd like to promote? Oh, I mean, if y'all want to go follow me on Twitter, my uh, handle is cmclimber. That's C-M-C-L-Y-M-E-R. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, I would just encourage folks to, you know, get out there and let your voice be heard um, and make sure that you're uplifting the voices of marginalized people. Uh, don't back down from these fights. You know, get in there and fight. Well said. Thanks, Charlotte. Uh, I love you. Oh, I love you, God. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me today. And um, and bless you for the good work that you do. Uh, well, thank you for your blessings and, and love to you and, and uh, Gabriel over there with his uh, Smirnoff. Thank you. <laughs> The Lord has spoken. Become one of God's patron saints at patreon.com slash the God Show. You'll miss every other episode of The God Show unless you become a patron saint.